Thank you for that. That uh, hymn was called, I Wonder As I Wander. Thank you, Rob and Ruth, for presenting that to us. Good morning, everybody. We want to turn to God's Word this morning very quickly. We want to look at Colossians chapter 1. It, if, if you're looking on the Bibles in the seats, it is on page 956, I believe 956. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses uh, 15 to 17 this morning, which give us some amazing, amazing insight. It says that he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, the things visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And it's a bold claim, essentially telling us that Christ is the agent over all of creation, the sustainer, the one who holds all things together in order and goodness. And he was there before anything was, and he remains there through it all. Again, these are, are bold claims about Jesus being creator, sustainer, the fact that there's a God out there. These are very large claims. We're going to consider that this morning in our series called Wonder. We've also looked at the wisdom from uh, Psalm 19, which you could review again. We'll be taking a look later at John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 22 to 23 and 25, even Genesis 1. Now you notice that most of these begin with a 1. They start in the very first chapter of these books. It's a very foundational truth, this idea that there is a God and that we can know him and have fellowship with him. So again, our series, though, is called Wonder, and we're just starting it this morning. It's a six-week series, and we're going to be exploring the big questions about faith. And I want to do so with kind of intellectual and, of course, spiritual integrity. We're going to be looking at questions such as this this morning, the relationship between science and God, the relationship between science and God. Is there, is there one? How can, we, how can we sit in it? Next week, we'll be exploring the Bible. Is the Bible still relevant? Is it still relevant in today's modern culture and world? The week after that, we'll be looking at the difference between morality and righteousness. Is there? Week four, we'll be talking about can someone say, I love God, but not love the church? Towards the back end, we'll be reviewing some big questions. One of the largest ones that we hear often from non-believers and believers alike can be this idea of pain and suffering. How, God? Can there be pain and suffering, and yet we have a God who's good and in control? And then we'll conclude with the great mystery of faith, Christ, and the gospel. Now, this series is for anyone who wonders. And maybe you're here, or maybe you're hearing my voice this morning, and for you, faith still remains something in the ether a bit. I can resonate with that. Again, I've always uh, told you on my resume, I have not always been a pastor, haven't always been a believer. For still most of my life, I was a non-believer, and for my adult life, a fairly educated agnostic, someone who I looked at the sciences, I looked at the facts, and I looked at things and found sometimes, often for me, very little credibility to the story of God and Jesus and the church. And all that, of course, came crashing down in one moment. And so, but I can still enter into that space sometime and work through with now faith eyes 
some of these big questions. And so I want to do so again with always kind of intellectual and spiritual integrity. And this series is also for those of you who, who are clear in your faith. Like you stand on the solid ground of faith from your upbringing, from church background, and you're asking, though, what more could there be? How, what more could, I, could there be? Um, I don't have a clicker today, so if, if you could stay in uh, pace. I'm on uh, slide number, I don't know, four, I think, with wonder. Next one, faith, there it is, faith, there it goes. And I'm about to go to the, and hang on to that one, because I'm going to pray in faith uh, for God to give us wisdom this morning and for ears to hear. So, Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, for the gathering here this morning at church. And, Lord, I pray that this would remain to a sacred space as we wonder, as we wander, as we consider the great promises of Scripture that tell us that, yes, you are there over creation, and, yes, you contain and maintain all order, and, yes, you are there for us to know in the love of Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Next slide, we're talking about the relationship of science and faith. The relationship of science and faith, which is exactly how the question came to me as I was preparing for this series. What is the relationship between science and faith? And I would tell you, first of all, it's um, complicated. It can be a little complicated. Uh, now, the church early on uh, throughout history was really the earliest sponsor, going back centuries ago, the earliest sponsor, promoter even, of developing in the modern sciences, things like astronomy and, of course, medical science. I mean, the church was really leading the edge and funding and developing leaders and thinkers to try to, to try to develop. How did God do this, and how can we learn to, to harness in his power to bring healing and understanding to our world, to understand the, the nature of creation and the body and, and science and everything? Um, one famous uh, uh, scientist back in the day was Galileo. Guy got to be brilliant, brilliant, and he had a really cool haircut. He came out, and he was so brilliant, but he was saying, you know, I believe that math is the language in which God created everything. And so he turned that brilliant mind to the stars and was funded by the church and began to develop, you know, all this understanding of how, the, like, you look up at that mass of stars and he, he started to postulate, I think they're moving in different rhythms. They began to figure out how they work. It's really foundational work in terms of how we understand how we fit in the universe. But he had one problem. He came back with this finding and said, hey, guess what? To his patrons, the church. Um, it turns out that the earth is not the center of everything. It turns out we're rotating around the sun. And that's exactly the look they had on their faces too. What are you talking about? And they tried him for really one of the worst crimes you could ever imagine in the church, heresy, which is basically saying you are, you are not a believer and a danger to the church. I, I got to imagine that, that that truly, truly broke his heart because he, honestly, if you read his early writings, he was out there trying to worship God through his understanding and through his, his sciences. So this is an often quoted story of seed. You see how it works. The, the church only is excited about science until it doesn't like what it says, and then it argues back. And uh, that is a, a line. And now it is true, it can be true, uh, that there is a line that is often drawn. And it's, it's even darkened maybe over the years since then, that science and faith really have no mix together. There's no relationship between science and faith. Science at times can seem like a prodigal son that runs off with the inheritance and spends it wildly, denying that the father is still at home. But it's true too that the church and, and believers can often come off Pharisaic to new revelations about how the universe works and how the nature of humanity 
and the sciences. To illustrate this, I was thinking back to when my kids were younger and they first started getting into Legos. And when they were really young, we bought them the very, very first little you know, Legos. This is probably the first one we bought them. And I remember with so much excitement, we opened up the box and spilled the pieces all over the table. And they were like, build it, Papa, build it. So I did. You know, I took the instructions out. It was a fairly simple design. You know, put it together. And they stood next to me with such awe and wonder. It's like, wow, look at what he's doing. And I presented them the toy. They were so excited about it. Well, then we bought them more Legos because that was fun. And then they wanted help. They wanted to help building it. So they'd start building some pieces together. And occasionally they'd get stuck. And they'd say, oh, help me with this. Or I'm kind of lost in the parts. Like, all right, I'll help you. And I kind of took it back apart, put it back together. Well, it didn't take long before the Legos got more and more complicated. And they got more advanced in their understanding of how they work and how the instructions fit. And they didn't really need me. So sometimes I'd sit there and watch them you know, build. And it would be exciting for me. And then at some point, they really just didn't need me at the table anymore. And those days sure went by quickly. No, I don't say that to draw your empathy, but it is true. And again, I use this as just a metaphor of how this kind of works when we think we understand something. When we don't understand it, we need God. And in the early days of human history, people looked up with wonder and awe, and I don't know how this works, and God, please send the rain, or please stop sending the rain, or help me heal, or help me, help me, help me. But at some point, the more we understand something, and especially, this is, this is not just in science and kind of big questions. It really happens in our lives, too. When we think we understand how things work, we can start to elude ourselves. We really don't need God's wisdom or presence anymore. And that sometimes exacerbates that separation. Now, my encouragement for you, to the, for you this morning on the next slide, is that both science and faith working together can help us understand reality, both science and faith. Science book in one hand and scripture in the other. Both can help us understand the nature of reality. Just as Galileo thought, I'm going to go plumb the design of the universe to God's glory. And scientists after him had done the same. But both science and faith can help us truly understand the reality in which we're set in. Both science and faith can actually benefit from one another. Science often shows us the how. How did God do this? And, and how can we harness his design to bring betterment to humanity? But faith continues to bring the question of why. Why is there what we have? Why is the universe here? Why are we able to think? Why are we able to think at such high levels? Why are we continuing to expand in our knowledge? And where are we going? What is the purpose of all this? Why do we humans seem to be invested with special wisdom? Of course, faith can offer a balance, too, of ethics. Not every scientific advancement is healthy or good. There's times that science technology advances, and then in the end, we think life is more tragic or more dangerous. There are times where medical advances can be used to heal and extend life, but there are times that it strays into determining the value of individual life. And so when it comes to the ethics of science, faith can certainly have a strong voice. You know, sometimes just because we can figure things out, should we? Just because we understand maybe how things work doesn't mean we have the whole picture. So my third thought for you this morning is how both faith and science can truly fill us with a sense of awe and wonder and worship. Awe and wonder and worship. I think about my father-in-law, who uh, I'm blessed to have in the gene pool for my kids. He's an MIT graduate uh, with his degree in physics, and uh, he often is still doing experiments in his 
basement of things I really don't know, and I think they're probably pretty dangerous, um, but he, the neighbors don't seem to be too mind. But he always, as he's doing his high-level experiments on kind of nuclear and cold fusion, he's always asking himself, God, how did you do this? How did you do this, God? And prayerfully approaching all of his experiments. So big question for us is, can someone be scientific and faithful? Can someone be scientific and faithful? Now, if you're here and you're a student, the answer might easily be no. Or if you've been a student in college, you might think, no, I really can't. I'll lose credibility if I say I'm a faithful person and I'm pursuing, you know, the sciences. Because often we can fear that. If I say I'm a person of faith, we risk losing intellectual reputation. And it's from thinkers like this. is Jerry Coyne, who's a Ph.D. in biology from Harvard and a professor emeritus in ecology and evolution ooh, here at the University of Chicago. He wrote in his book, Faith Versus Fact, Why Science and Religion Are Incompatible. I love it when the title of the book tells you the whole book, by the way. <laughs> uh, he says, faith may be a gift in religion, but in science it's poison. For faith is no way to find truth. In the same book, he said, science and religion are therefore competitors in the business of finding out what is true in our universe. In this goal, religion has failed miserably. For its tools of discerning truth are useless. These areas are incompatible in precisely the same way, in the same sense that irrationality is incompatible, incompatible with irrationality. Does that sound like something we might hear in some schools or some colleges? We have to be prepared for that as students. Often, the idea of being high-minded or scientific and faithful can seem incompatible with one another. And again, we can risk losing... Uh, intellectual uh, reputation. What I find, though, actually, is that really top, top-level scientists are actually more intellectually open to the idea of faith than you think, than even what kind of, and again, professors in, in modern universities can certainly be wise, but really top-level scientists at some level find themselves more intellectually open. Here's a quote from a Nobel Prize-winning physiologist in medicine, Peter Menegouar, said back in 1960, the existence of a limit to science is made clear by its inability to answer childlike elementary questions that have to do with the first and the last things. Basic questions, he says, like, how did everything begin? And what is it all for? And what is the point of living? This is someone that's really, again, a high thinker, carrying that uh, Nobel Prize and, and seeing the limits of science and understanding the, the value and purpose for which it explores. I love his respect for the limits of science and the scientific research because it's intellectually honest. It really is. More modern here is uh, Sabine Hassenfelder. Uh, she has her PhD in theoretical physics in Germany. She does research on quantum gravity in the Frankfurt Institute of Advances, Advanced Studies, which just sounds like a great place to work. Um, and she confessed recently in an article, she's also a prolific uh, YouTuber, uh, she says there are quite a few areas where physics, and again, this is high-level physics, where physics blurs into religion, and she talks more about this, especially in the area of understanding the origin of the universe. And again, someone with such a great brain, such a great mind. She says, physics explore within the boundaries of natural law using complex math, but often have to reach conclusions that really strain. She would say they're even ascientific or even untestable. Now, she's not a believer in God. She has enjoyed going to church on occasion but recognizes the limits, intellectually being honest, the limits of her discipline and the dead ends that she finds that lead her to the very edge of the biggest questions about faith and life. 
Now, the problem is in our culture that the most popular voices in, that generally get the headlines from scientific community often speak loudly about debunking faith in God and sometimes can even feel, like I said, ridiculing Christians for holding on to the biblical story. But what I'm offering to you is that is not all of the most leading minds. Often the ones that you're hearing on TV, and especially the ones whose names get brought up a lot or who are, who are very popular on, on common TV, are interpreting scientific findings through a lens or a worldview that is actually pretty religious in its own right. It's called scientism, scientism. And I got that term from uh, Dr. John Lennox, uh, where he's talking about the idea that it's really science as its own religion of itself. And Dr. John Lennox is an uh, emeritus professor of mathematics at Oxford. Pretty smart guy, okay? Um, he uses uh, his talks to, to discuss the idea that the mind that is conformed only to science, only to science in the universe there offers no evidence of God. In other words, if you're not looking for it, you're not going to find it. He echoes this from the text of Romans chapter 1, which tells us that claiming to be wise in verse 22, they became instead foolish, exchanging the glory of the immortal God. And let's remember this text was written thousands of years before uh, Darwin ever discovered any, any um, evidence of, of, uh, of animals evolving. He said they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal human beings, for images, something that looks like a mortal human, but human being but not quite. Or they exchange the image of a glory, uh, mortal God for birds or maybe even four-footed animals or reptiles. Again, written centuries before advances in science showed that that's true. And again, the point is that it's exchanging that glory, exchanging that story, that origin, from a God who created to something else that is lesser, that is lesser. So again, at Dr. John Lennox, to the mind conformed only to science, the universe really truly offers no evidence of God. But he went on to, and again, I'm summarizing greatly a fascinating lecture I listened to from 2016 where he spoke at the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'll give you a link to that a little bit later. He said, but to the mind conformed by science and faith, to the mind conformed by faith and science, the universe itself offers all the evidence of God one could ever need a desire. Can someone be scientific and still find faith? Not just the idea of God being credible, like maybe even a, a theist, but actually find faith in Christ. Here's a testimony. Dr. Cy Garth is a Ph.D. in biochem from NYU. He continued to serve there as a tenured professor. He's also worked at Rutgers, University of Pittsburgh, and others. He was raised third-generation atheist home. No religious influences whatsoever. In fact, anytime they spoke of faith, it was to make fun of it. Today, he's a devoted follower of Christ. And his journey to get there is fascinating. It's fascinating. I'm going to summarize it and, and probably not do it full justice. I'll give you... Uh, instructions how to find it a little bit later. But his journey began in, in his scientific research where he became aware, first of all, of a strange kind of joy that would develop in his heart as he made new discoveries. And a friend of, him, a friend of his once said, boy, you almost seem like a, like, a, like a faith person in church. You're so excited about things. And he's like, that was almost a religious kind of experience every time he would find something new 
in creation that he was excited about. But to his surprise, and again, as his mind continued to expand, he began exploring the very foundations of matter and energy, and there he learned about chaos theory and the rich complexity of physical laws and how the universe, universal reality itself to rest on top of chaos at the most basic atomic level was so finely tuned that he found himself open to the rationality that maybe, maybe there could be a creator outside that. Because the universe was so finely tuned to exist, it was literally imp impossible, and yet it was. And so that opened him up just a little bit to the idea that maybe, maybe there's something outside of that creation that is holding it together. He went on to study and later his uh, observations about the origins of life and specifically that great leap in, in the strictly chemical process to biology. That somehow in the story of creation we went from strictly chemical processes to all of a sudden a world that is teeming with biology. That led him to discover and consider, consider the language of DNA, which he said he felt like every living cell was fused with some kind of divine life. Then he began to explore further the uniqueness of humanity in the world's biology. What is it about us that we're specially infused with the capacity for wisdom and for art and wonder and emotion and the desire to progress? It was right about that time that a colleague invited him to church where he found himself, just like an earlier researcher, appreciating the joy and the fellowship of the people that he witnessed there. He was brought to an outreach where they showed him a film about the life of Jesus that he said did find some stirring in his heart. Later, as he continued his research, he found himself having really profound dreams that encouraged him to be more open to a spiritual reality. And then, along with his research, he began to read his Bible. But he still wasn't really ready to, willing to believe, not yet. One day he talks about he was listening to part of a sermon on the radio and marveling at the pastor's oratory skills. <laughs> but not enough that he, he, he wanted to stick with it, he turned it off. And in the quiet of his drive, he began asking himself, what kind of sermon would I preach? What kind of sermon would I preach? Quoting him, he said, I started thinking. Well, I'd probably start talking about the origin of life or something scientific. And then it happened, he said. I had a feeling which I cannot explain. I pulled the car over, which is a good thing, because I began seeing myself speaking to a crowd somewhere on a countryside, outside, and he was speaking words that sounded like a sermon. But he said what was strange is the words were just coming to him without his own thought. They were as if they were coming from outside of his mind and flowing through him. He's sure of it, he said. And then what he said to these people who were gathered there, whom all he believed were, were gathered there to seek Christ, he said, now you people should be praised and should be happy and be blessed. And these words came out of his mouth. Because Jesus Christ loves you. And I know he loves you. Because Jesus Christ loves even me. And at those words spilling out of his mouth, he said tears inexplicably fell from his face. At that moment, he felt a weight lift off of him and a new kind of joy that he had never experienced settle over him. His words, I believe, he said, 
I believe. Today, Sai is a leader in his local church. He continues to share his story, to write and speak and debate, even high thinkers on the relationship between science and faith. Before I conclude, I've got a, a screen here for you with some resources, things that I've cited that have been stirring in my heart. I really was enjoying this week and spending a lot of time. I found this BioLogos website to be especially helpful. There's Cy Garth's testimony on a Side B Stories podcast. If you just search for Cy Garth or Side B Stories podcast, you can hear his about 45-minute presentation. It's really, really wonderful. He goes deeper into the idea of science and faith. He's got an awesome book that I've been uh, pouring over, uh, The Works of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. Another encouragement for you if you like to listen to podcasts, the Unbelievable Podcast. Um, there's also a book that's related to it as well that I think I have here. Oh, I also have Cy Garth's book here. Unbelievable podcast from Jason Brierley. Uh, this is out of the UK, and they, they interview often uh, leading thinkers in various disciplines, including the sciences, and are very credible about it. Uh, it, it really is an open conversation from a faith perspective. Uh, unbelievable. That's a great one. And then here's Cy Garth's book, uh, Work of the Hands. If you want a deeper dive, there's jo Dr. John Lennox and his lectures at the C.S. Lewis Institute. Um, and he's also got a book, uh, Cosmic uh, uh, Chemistry. Uh, do God and science mix? And again, the, the answer is not really quite in the title, but the big question is there. As we conclude here this morning, I want us to imagine for a second, what if there wasn't a God who brings order over the chaos? What if we woke up this morning and, and gravity was just off? And, and we just know it's going to be this way because it's always random. So one day we wake up and we're floating off of our beds. The next morning we cannot get off the floor because gravity is inconsistent. Time is also inconsistent. A day today might be 24 hours. Tomorrow it might be 26. Tomorrow, the day after that, might be as long as three days. We don't know. What if the orbits of the sun and the moon were insecure? One day we woke up and the moon had just floated off into the ether. Well, that would have profound impact on our reality. What if we woke up tomorrow and, and weather was so insecure, so random, that today it could be 115 and tomorrow it might be negative 15 but what if we woke up tomorrow and the chemistry and biology of our bodies was so wildly unpredictable that, that today our arm doesn't work and the next day it does and, 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 and every kind of mess and measure? What if we woke up this morning and relationships were just so chaotic that the person you loved no longer loved you and, and just left, but then the next day they came back and families were just all over? Like, we don't live in a randomness. We can't imagine that because we don't live like that. God instead blessed us with order because the story of God tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There was chaos. It was formless and void. But the Spirit of God came and hovered over that. And he spoke, let there be, let there be. And it was good. And it was very good. We don't live in a reality of chaos because we have a God who came to us in the word of God, who was there before creation, who brings that logos, that, that logic, that order, that reason, and not only blessed us with creation, but continues to hold creation in his very palm. We don't have to imagine a world that is completely random and chaotic because we don't live in one. We live in a world with a God who is good, who desires us to seek and find him through the sciences, through his word, through his spirit, and ultimately in his son Christ, who came as the demonstration of his love, 
to be received in our hearts by faith. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for letting us wander for a bit to consider these big stories of the relationship between science and faith. And Lord, I don't know how you want to use this morning. Thank you for stirring my heart today in wonder and awe and rejoice. Father, I thank you that we have good people out there that are, that are doing science work, uh, some just to explore on their own rights. Lord, we ask blessing on, on all the scientists that we have in our community and beyond. Continue to favor, bless their work. And Lord, we ask your blessing on those scientists who are holding on to faith and in, in perhaps sometimes a community that doesn't always value that. Give blessing and grace over them. Lord, we pray for our students here today, those who are in school, in college, uh, just starting new jobs, that they would not feel like they have to surrender faith for intellectual credibility. And Father, I pray for all of us that we continue, even in our belief, to be stirred with awe and wonder and hope and gratitude for the, the world you've created and you brought order to and the blessing of your grace and love in our hearts received to us by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and rejoice with me this morning as we're going to sing one more hymn, number 11, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee.